0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: G'day, welcome to PM. I'm David Lipson coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. Tonight, once labelled Australia's worst female serial killer, Kathleen Folbig's convictions for killing her children have been quashed. (laughs) Also, did a famous television host put pride and ego ahead of Bruce Lehrman's right to a fair trial? And it sparked global controversy, but doubts have emerged about the authenticity of parts of a video depicting anti-Semitic chanting on the steps of the Sydney Opera House.
2: So in the video, if you analyse the audio track, you would notice that different parts of the audio that are kind of similar throughout different clips in that compilation.
1: Thanks for your company. The extraordinary redemption of Kathleen Folbig, once labelled Australia's worst female serial killer is now complete, with the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal today quashing her convictions over the deaths of her four young children. The historic decision opens the door to a massive compensation payout. Ms Folbic spent 20 years behind bars, despite always maintaining her innocence. Advocates are now calling for urgent law reform to prevent future miscarriages of justice. Rachel Hayter reports
3: a bereaved mother who always maintained her innocence. My children are here with me today, and they will be close to my heart for the rest of my life. I love my children, and I always will. Kathleen Folbig was once described as Australia's worst female serial killer. She spent 20 years behind bars for the deaths of her four babies. For almost a quarter of a century, I faced disbelief and hostility. I suffered abuse in all its forms. I hoped and prayed that one day I would be able to stand here with my name cleared. Today, the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal answered Kathleen Folbig's prayers.
4: It is appropriate that Ms. Folbig's conviction for the manslaughter of Caleb Folbig, uh, maliciously inflicting grievous bodily harm upon Patrick Folbig, with intent to do grievous bodily harm, the murder of Patrick Folbig, the murder of Sarah Folbig and the murder of Laura Folbig, be quashed.
3: Chief Justice Andrew Bell told the court three appeal judges agreed with the conclusion of a special commission of inquiry, chaired by former Chief Justice Tom Bathurst, that there is reasonable doubt as to Kathleen Folbeek's guilt. Something devoted friend and advocate Tracy Chapman has been saying for decades. I never doubted your innocence, Kath. Never for one second. As we close this chapter. Remember the true value of friendship, and I hope you all do. Friendship is important. Persistence, definitely really important. And standing steadfast and true in truth. Kathleen Folbig's lawyer, Rani Reggio, is now pushing for urgent law reform. An innocent woman's suffering can and should be recognised and become a major impetus to improve our legal system. She says the conviction review system is poorly designed and incapable of timely identification and rectification of miscarriages of justice. If we really want to make some good and something to come from this tragedy, New South Wales will evaluate critically their system of post-conviction review. And Australia will consider moving to an independent body for review, such as a criminal cases review commission, like those established elsewhere in the world. The Australian Academy of Science acted as an independent scientific advisor to the second Folbig Inquiry. Its chief executive is Anna Maria Arabia.
0: The circumstantial evidence was given more weight than scientific evidence.
3: Ms Arabia is calling for a more science-sensitive legal system and a reliability standard to ensure that evidence presented to the court is
0: reliable. There was pathological and medical evidence that explained the death of the children at the time of the trial. No trauma, journaling or grief experts were brought before any legal proceeding until 2022.
3: Ms Folbig today lamented the use of sections of her diaries as evidence. The case against me was always about my diaries and Meadows law. They cherry-picked words and phrases from my journals. Those books contained my private feelings, which I wrote to myself. No one expects those type of things to be read by strangers, let alone opinionated on. Kathleen Folbig's acquittal was also thanks in part to new evidence that natural causes may have played roles in at least some of her children's deaths. It's not the first time an Australian mother has been wrongfully convicted of killing her child. I'm not really just clearing myself, I'm clearing
0: my family, I'm clearing every last witness that was at the rock and knows that a dingo definitely took Azaria.
2: Both Lindy Chamberlain and Kathleen Folbig were subjected to judgment on the basis that they should have somehow responded differently to those extraordinary circumstances.
3: Emma Cunliffe is a professor at the Allard School of Law at the University of British Columbia. She examined Ms Folbig's convictions in a book called Murder, Medicine and Motherhood.
2: Both were also the victim of unreliable forensic science and medicine and of the court's failure to ensure that the scientific evidence that is put before courts is independent, impartial and of the highest possible
3: quality. Professor Cunliffe believes the court should have apologised to Kathleen Folbig. Her legal team will now pursue compensation.
1: Rachel Hayter reporting. Now to the defamation trial launched by former Liberal Party staffer Bruce Lehrman and Network 10 journalist Lisa Wilkinson has denied putting her own pride and ego ahead of a fair trial for Mr Lehrman. He's suing both Ms Wilkinson and Network 10 for defamation after a story on the Project TV program aired Brittany Higgins' allegation She'd been raped by an unnamed colleague in Parliament House. Mr Lairman strongly denies that allegation and his criminal trial was aborted because of juror misconduct. No findings have been made against him. Samantha Donovan is following the defamation case and joined me earlier. Sam, what's Lisa Wilkinson been challenged on today?
0: Well, David, both Lisa Wilkinson and Network 10 are seeking to defend this case by proving that the story on the project was true. And if they can't prove that, that it was in the public interest that the story be aired in uh, 2021. So Bruce Lehman's barrister, Matthew Richardson SC, has really been grilling her on how much work she and the project team put in to checking Ms Higgins' allegations. Uh, Mr Richardson put to Lisa Wilkinson that she was, so completely committed to supporting Brittany Higgins when she came to the show with her allegations that she had no intention that is Ms Wilkinson of challenging anything she said Ms Wilkinson told the court that she totally disagreed with that suggestion and she took offence when Mr Richardson suggested to her that as he put it she was thrilled by the riveting commercial appeal of the story Brittany Higgins told Uh, Ms Wilkinson quite tersely replied, please don't make me sound like a cheap tabloid journalist, Mr Richardson. And she gave evidence she felt the project team had investigated the story extremely well and she strongly rejected the suggestion that she'd coached Brittany Higgins on what to say before the interview was recorded.
1: Right. So what questions did Bruce Lehman's barrister raise about how the story was reported?
0: Well she was questioned quite extensively about Brittany Higgins telling the project that she'd lost a lot of data from her phone when it had crashed or or gone black was the expression the court heard. But one of the few things that had survived and hadn't been wiped from the phone was a photo Brittany Higgins had taken of a bruise on her leg a couple of days after the alleged rape and which she was showing the project team to support her allegations. Now Lisa Wilkinson gave evidence today. She didn't really understand what Brittany Higgins had meant by her phone going black and and while it did concern her, she didn't think at the time to check the metadata of the photo. She told the court she isn't very tech savvy, but she was satisfied. She said that other members of the project team had investigated further and she gave evidence the issue of, of some material having been wiped from the phone didn't give her concerns about Ms Higgins' credibility. She was also questioned closely about her evidence that there'd been a systemic cover-up of the rape allegation by the Coalition Government of the day and others in Parliament House. Ms Wilkinson gave evidence that she believed former Cabinet Minister Linda Reynolds and her advisor Fiona Brown had been involved in that cover-up and were being directed by the office of then Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Now, the presiding judge, Justice Michael Lee, intervened at one stage and pointed to the fact that Fiona Brown had, in fact, made an appointment to take Brittany Higgins to the police in Parliament House and actually escorted her to that meeting. And he asked Lisa Wilkinson if that was consistent with Ms Brown being part of a systemic cover-up. Lisa Wilkinson gave evidence she believed that those police officers weren't trained in allegations of... ..in handling, I suppose, allegations of sexual abuse, so they weren't the right people to go to... She denied Mr Richardson's suggestion that the project had unfairly portrayed Fiona Brown as a monster or a terrible human being. So close questioning of Lisa Wilkinson, David, from Mr Lehman's barrister about the accuracy of the project's report.
1: And Sam, the project won a Logie Award for its report on the Brittany Higgins case. That was raised too today.
0: Yes, the, the court was played Lisa Wilkinson's Logie Award acceptance speech. That was back in June 2022. And in it, she said that the story was the most important work she'd ever done, but that the honour belonged to Brittany Higgins. Now, that speech, David, was given just eight days before Bruce Lehman's criminal trial was due to begin, and it actually ended up delaying the trial for several months. And Mr Lemons' barrister, Mr Richardson, put to Lisa Wilkinson that her speech was reckless and ill-advised because the audience would infer that she believed that Brittany Higgins' uh, allegation was true and that she'd put her own pride and ego ahead of Bruce Lehman getting a fair trial. Ms Wilkinson told the court she completely disagreed with that suggestion but Justice Michael Lee intervened again and, and asked her if it would be fair to say that the inference that could be drawn from the speech was that Brittany Higgins was making a true allegation against a guilty man and Lisa Wilkinson and conceded that inference could be made. And Lisa Wilkinson, David, will continue giving her evidence tomorrow morning.
1: Samantha Donovan there. The AUKUS agreement for a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines has passed a major milestone, with contentious legislation authorising the United States to build three Virginia-class boats for Australia, passing the US Senate. Pat Conroy is the Minister for Defence Industry, and I spoke to him from Washington, D.C. Pat Conroy, thanks for your time. The AUKUS legislation has passed the US Senate. It still needs to pass the House. How confident are you that that will happen before Christmas?
5: I'm very confident. Uh, I think this is a momentous day in the alliance with the United States and with the the, uh, AUKUS program, and I'm very confident that it'll pass the uh, House of Representatives very shortly. This is a demonstration of the commitment of just not the uh, US government, but the people of the United States to the AUKUS partnership, which is all about increasing and growing the industrial base of all three countries, uh, expanding the capability of Australia to defend itself and contribute to stability and deterrence in the Indo-Pacific. And many people were very sceptical that the US system would come behind so quickly and strongly, and they've been proven wrong. This is a momentous day for the alliance with the United States.
1: One of the reasons there were jitters in US Congress about this agreement is that the US has been struggling to meet its own production targets when it comes to building submarines... Is the US $3 billion that Australia has promised really enough to ease those pressures on US shipbuilding?
5: Well, the US is making significant investments to increase their submarine industrial basement in our own right. So investing on average about an extra US $1 billion a year, they've committed through the Biden administration to allocate another $3.4 billion in the industrial uplift. And we're seeing a turnaround. The Virginia production of Virginia-class nuclear attack submarines Is moving closer to two per year, which is their goal, and uh, they're lifting their availability rate of in service Virginia class submarines. I'm confident that we'll get there.
1: On another matter, what can you tell us about this US request for an Australian warship to be sent to the Red Sea where the Middle East conflict is threatening to spill over further?
5: Oh, look, all I can say is that the Australian Defence Force currently contributes to maritime security in the Middle East region under Operation Manitow through staff embedded with the combined maritime forces. And currently there are approximately five ADF embedded with CMF headquarters and I've got nothing further to add to that story.
1: But how unusual is it more generally for these sorts of requests to come through?
5: Well, all I can say is that we currently contribute to maritime security in the region uh, through staff at the Combined Maritime Forces, and that's uh, uh, 5 ADF embedded, and um, that's uh, where we are at this stage.
1: But is another warship being actively considered by the government?
5: Oh, look, I'm not going to engage in those sorts of discussions. We're making a contribution at the moment through the combined maritime forces.
1: OK, what have you picked up in the corridors of Congress there about Australia's decision to break ranks with the US and Israel and vote for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza?
5: Well, I can honestly say not a single uh, person has raised that with me. Uh, uh, what I can say is that we were among 153 countries that voted in support of a UN General Assembly re- resolution on the protection of civilians and upgoing, upholding legal and humanitarian obligations, and that we continue to be gravely concerned about the humanitarian. Situation in Gaza, but uh, no one that I've met with over the last uh, 48 hours has raised uh, any issues with me about Australia's position.
1: So, you haven't sensed any disappointment whatsoever about Australia's new position?
5: Uh, well, all I can say is I've had conversations uh, today in the Pentagon, I had a series of meetings uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, in the houses of Congress, both with Senators and, Demo- and uh, Congressmen and women, both Democrat and Republican. And not a single person has raised this issue with me directly. Pat Conroy, thank you. Thanks,
1: David. That's the Minister for Defence Industry, Pat Conroy, in Washington. This is PM. I'm David Lipson. You can hear all our programs live or later on the ABC Listen app. Far north Queensland is drenched as torrential rain continues in the wake of Cyclone Jasper. Most of the region escaped major damage from the Category 2 system, but with half a metre of rain in some areas, the threat of flooding continues. Here's Stephanie Smale.
6: It's been a long, soggy day for many locals trying to clean up after Cyclone Jasper. George McDonald says his usually serene waterfront suburb, Machen's Beach in Cairns, looked very different this morning after an eventful night.
5: What we heard was big boom, neighbour came out, big tree come down and bang, hit the roof. Ooh, what are we going to do here? So my neighbour next door got contact with uh, SES, strong winds but it was heavy. But I'm used to storms and cyclones because I've lived through it all my life, but seeing that one, that was a beauty.
6: Ex-tropical cyclone Jasper has moved west, but the system's deluge hasn't let up. In and around Coranda, just north of Cairns, some locals have moved to higher ground today as creeks rise quickly. Peter Franks is the CEO of the Mareeba Shire Council that covers that area.
5: I live in Coranda myself. The last twenty four hours at my house I've had five hundred and fifty mils of rain and it is still raining now.
6: What sort of impact is that rain having?
5: The catchments are very dry. The water's coming through the creeks very quickly and the water is rising in a number of the creeks very rapidly. We've had to help a couple of people to move out of their homes. To higher ground.
6: And so, what are you expecting the next sort of 12 to 24 hours to look like?
5: Hopefully, the rain will start easing in the next sort of 12 hours. So, hopefully, by this evening, things will start to ease off.
6: And how is everyone coping? How are people feeling?
5: Very well. Most people are pretty used to it, especially the longer term residents.
6: Unlike the more powerful cyclones of the past, Jasper didn't deliver major widespread damage. But authorities say the amount of homes and businesses without power hit 40,000 at one stage, with crews busily trying to repair the damage. Douglas was bracing for the worst, but the tourist town escaped serious damage. Locals say Cyclone Jasper did pack a punch though, and they're ready for the power to be back on.
1: It was just sideways rain mate, just going straight past the window.
5: If, you, if pigs were going to fly, it was last night.
6: We've still got no power. We lost power at 20 to 7 last night, so everything's getting a bit wet and a bit moist, everyone, so we need some air con and electricity, please. <laughs> Ex-tropical cyclone Jasper is now heading west towards the Gulf of Carpentaria, where it could intensify again.
1: Stephanie Smale reporting. An impeachment probe into US President Joe Biden has begun, with House Republicans narrowly approving an investigation into whether the president had ties to his son's overseas business dealings. President Biden has dismissed the inquiry as a baseless political stunt, but Republicans are hoping additional powers to gather evidence and enforce legal demands could unearth damaging information on the president in the lead-up to next year's election. Bill Galston was a political advisor to Bill Clinton during his presidency. He's now a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution. Bill Galston, thanks for your time. How likely is it that this impeachment inquiry will lead to the US President Joe Biden actually getting impeached?
4: Well, technically speaking, impeachment is like an accusation. It is the charge. And it is possible that the Republican Party will unite around the current suspicions against the president enough to find a majority for those changes and then charges rather and then send the bill of particulars over to the Senate. There is no chance that the Senate will convict. Mm -hmm. Zero. So this is... This is an exercise in symbolic politics, largely at the behest of former President Trump, who is doing his best to create some sense of moral equivalence.
1: And how much of a problem do you think this will be for Joe Biden in an election year?
4: Not much of one, to tell you the Mm. truth, because I think that this is widely regarded as a purely partisan exercise based on scanty information.
1: Yeah. It's all centred around the president's son, Hunter, and his fairly lucrative business dealings in China and Ukraine. Have have Republicans, though, had any success in linking anything untoward with the president himself?
4: There's been a lot of smoke so far, but very little fire. They have not not been able to demonstrate, for example, a money trail that leads from Hunter Biden's activities uh, straight to Joe Biden's bank account. Uh, And I would be surprised if they could. They have succeeded in tarnishing the president somewhat because clearly the president, through occasional social appearances, either by video or face to face with some of his son's business associates, has allowed the son to claim more influence over the father's decisions that in fact exists. So Biden, I think, was unwise just from an optical standpoint to have anything to do with his son's business dealings.
1: Yeah, all of this really smacks of a, a fishing expedition by the Republicans. But as we saw with your old boss, President Bill Clinton, a, a fishing expedition can actually haul in a big one. Just remind us of the historical context
4: there. <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> I have to relive these painful if memories. You would. <laughs> but in yeah, in fact, you know, President Clinton's ill-advised sexual escapades one of which actually occurred in the Oval Office with the fabled Monica Lewinsky, led to presidential statements, some under oath that turned out to be false.
1: But the initial inquiry was about something totally different, wasn't
4: it? Well, that is true. Although if your point is that an investigation uh, that begins with one set of premises Mm. or allegations can lead in directions... That will turn up more damaging information in other areas of a person's public life or yep. private life that for is that my matter. Point. <laughs> that is perfectly true. And once these investigations begin, they take on a momentum of their own. Everybody who's spent any time in Washington has seen how that can work. And there's no saying What this investigation will turn up, by definition, if it's anything serious, it will come as as a shock, I think, not only to Democrats, but also to the Republicans who are pursuing President Biden. At this point, I'm convinced that they're simply trying to scuff up his reputation and collapse the distinction between an honest and president and a dishonest former president. That's the whole point of the exercise. Yeah. But it could turn into something more than that.
1: That's Bill Golston from the Brookings Institution there. Questions are being asked about the authenticity of a disturbing video filmed when a pro Palestine rally marched to the Sydney Opera House just over a month ago. The rally came two days after Hamas's deadly attack on Israel, and a small group seen in the video are heard yelling anti Semitic chants. The images and sounds became big news both in Australia and around the world. But now it seems elements of that video showing people yelling out gas the Jews cannot be verified. David Sparks has been investigating.
7: Hundreds of people joined the rally which made its way from Sydney's town hall and arrived at the steps of the Opera House just after the sun went down on October 9th. One video which appeared to show the crowd chanting gas the Jews was particularly shocking, making a clear reference to the Holocaust of World War II. But now there are doubts about the authenticity of the audio track on that video.
2: So in the video, uh, if you analyse the audio track, you will notice that there are different parts of the audio that are kind of very similar throughout different clips in that compilation.
7: Esther Chan is editor of RMIT University's cross-check department. She says it's impossible to say for sure if the audio on the video is real or doctored. But there are some red flags.
2: So normally when you have different clips and also they look like they're filmed from slightly different angles, probably by different people using different devices. In that case, you should have uh, some discrepancies in the quality, volume, et cetera, of the sound. But um, what we can see from the waveform is that uh, some of the waveforms are very similar across multiple clips. So that's a little bit strange.
7: RMIT Crosscheck examined the video the day after the protest and then again more recently due to a media request. The video was posted on X, formerly known as Twitter, by a group called the Australian Jewish Association, which is not associated with any of the more recognised Jewish organisations in Australia. Esther Chan cautions against making a judgement on the video one way or another.
2: You do need to access the raw file in order to be able to analyse, say, uh, how many audio tracks are in that video um, and separate that from the visual file, etc.
7: In the 59 second video, none of the sections with the audio, Gas the Jews, lines up with vision of people seen chanting. New South Wales Police says it's still conducting extensive investigations into the protest and videos have been forwarded on for expert analysis. The day after the protest, organisers of the pro-Palestinian rally were widely criticised, including by the state's premier, Chris Minns. One of those organisers is Fahad Ali. He says he never heard anyone say, gas the Jews.
8: Very soon after the rally had actually taken place, I was contacted by several journalists from a number of platforms and publications who wanted to ask if I could verify those claims because they had their own reporters on the ground who simply had no evidence that this had happened. Um, At the protest, there were a small group of troublemakers who began to chant anti-Semitic slogans, and I won't repeat what they were, but the one that was widely circulated, at no point in the entire event did I hear anyone utter those words. And I think that there is a deliberate attempt to associate organizing for the freedom and liberty of Palestinians with um, or to impute some desire to commit genocide against Jewish people, which is obviously false. And we're very glad to have the support of many Jewish allies in our struggle for freedom and justice.
7: I just want to make this clear, gas the Jews. You did not hear that statement. That is correct. I did not hear that statement. Fahad Ali says he did hear a small number of protesters chant, F the Jews.
8: The moment I heard that chant, I immediately intervened. I immediately asked the crowd to behave and I made a plea to this small group of troublemakers that their actions and their behaviour was taking attention away from the suffering of people in Gaza. Um, Me and the other organisers completely condemn anti-Semitism. We do not believe it has any
7: place in our movement. Doubts about the authenticity of the video come amid growing concern about misinformation from both the pro-Palestine and pro-Israel sides of the conflict. RMIT cross-checks Esther Chan says caution is always needed.
2: Yeah, misinformation is definitely rife in the conflict, and as with any conflict, because you know the nature of social media, is just a place where a lot of things can be said and would go unchecked because uh, very often, you know, platforms' content moderation may not be catch up, you know, may not be able to catch up with the rate that people are posting online.
7: PM has contacted the Australian Jewish Association, but received no reply. PM has also contacted the Executive Council of Australian Jewry for comment, although the council did not have anything to do with the video and does not associate itself with the Australian Jewish Association. The council did not comment. David Sparks reporting.
1: That's the program for today. Thanks for joining us on PM. I'm David Lipson. We'll see you tomorrow.
3: I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. Are you an AI boomer or doomer? Do you think artificial intelligence will make the world a better place? Or are you worried it could destroy our way of life? Today, Professor Toby Walsh, the Chief Scientist at UNSW's AI Institute, on the recent fight over AI in Silicon Valley and the latest innovations we need to know about. Look for the ABC
4: News Daily Podcast... Yeah, be serious